of these booklets. want to make sure that you get a booklet. So if you don't have one, raise your hand. Um, it's going to be yours, obviously, to take home as always. But we want you to bring these back because this is going to follow us for the next five weeks um, as we walk through this whole Advent series. Um, but it is about preparing room for the King of Glory, and that's what this season is about. And so today, um, we're going to do what I would say is a pre-Advent, if we want to call it that, um, I asked a really good, good friend of mine. He's a brother um, that I pray with, uh, at least, um, you know, most of the time weekly, unless, you know, something happens that somebody can't make it or whatever the case is. But he is one of the faithful brothers that gets up and um, we pray together for the city of Oviedo. We pray together for our nation and um, we pray for you. We pray for, they pray for me. Amen. Um, we pray for each other, and we really, we really do um, pursue the Lord. Uh, he is a, a minister of the gospel. He is a part of a ministry called Abbey Mission and also Fresh Expressions. Uh, he was a, a founding pastor of one of the local churches, Incarnation. Uh, he was the director of Canterbury uh, for a while, and now he is um, just letting the Lord use him as he travels. And he's a guy that has a lot of education, and you would never know if you didn't know that he's a doctor, um, but he has studied the Word of God well, studied worship in particular, um, and, and I felt that it was right to have someone like him to introduce Advent to us. And the reason for that um, is because we've never done, in 16 years that we're, we just celebrated, we've never done an Advent series. I've, I've spoken about what, you know, the meaning of Christmas, obviously, but we've never done a full-on Advent series. And so this is the first time that we're going to do that. And I wanted him to come and share. And the one thing that I will tell you, and, I, and I'll point this out later on as well, but in your, in your um, booklet there, there is four keys to understanding Advent, which gives you some history. You don't want to read that now, um, but you do want to take some time Time to read that on your own, and he will be expounding on that. So I'm going to ask you to put your hands together for Reverend John Davis as he comes forward today. Well, good morning. Yep, yeah, is this uh, you got me? Good, good. Well, I find I'm just fascinated and thrilled and excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm actually an Episcopal priest. This might be a first for, uh, you know, an Episcopal priest in a Pentecostal church. Um, I'm thinking that surely it's a first for core faith in that regard. I don't know what the bishop was thinking, uh, but, um, you know, I'm wondering, if does he want me to get saved? Does he want me to get filled with the Holy Spirit? Does he want me to speak in tongues? Well, too late. I've already been, uh, been there and done that. That's already happened in my life. I was served on staff for a while at, you might have heard of it, Mount Perrin Church of God in Atlanta. And I was on staff. There was a large, in those days, one of the largest uh, Pentecostal churches in the country. And so I was on staff there learning youth ministry back in those days. But um, this is very familiar to me. So it's very exciting to be here and to have this opportunity to share with you. Um, I just want to start off by sort of saying some essentials about church. For all of us who claim Christ, we cling to his incarnation. That is, that he was born of a virgin, that the word became flesh. We cling to his life and his ministry. We, we embrace signs and wonders of the kingdom. Uh, his passion, the passion of Jesus, his agony on the cross, his death, his mighty resurrection and his glorious ascension. We, we long for the coming of the Holy Spirit afresh, day by day, moment by moment. But we, but we remember that moment of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came in power to empower us to be witnesses in the world, to bear witness to God through signs and wonders. 
We embrace the Holy Scriptures as the Word of God that instructs us, right? We also cling to and, and, and understand that Jesus is coming back. We, we embrace the commands of Jesus to baptize and to celebrate communion like we did just a few minutes ago. We proclaim an apostolic faith so that the gospel is proclaimed into the world. We might do things differently, but I know that this morning that there are churches all over this community alone, but all over the nation, all over the world, that are gathering to worship God. And they might do things differently. You know, there's a, uh, in a sense that we, regardless of whatever we hold to, we hold to these things that are dearly prized, that are part of what it means to be church. I just think that when it comes down to it, that that is what makes us the church. See, when God, when Jesus looks down from the right hand of God, and he looks at Oviedo, I don't think he sees Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals, Episcopalians. He sees his church, all those who call upon the name of the Lord. And so we're going to be looking at Advent. What is this season and such? I, I do hold a Ph.D. in liturgy and worship, and this is a specific area of study for me in terms of that. And what I want to say is that there are different, there are depths of treasures for us as we sort of think about this idea of an Advent season. Some, some churches follow the church calendar, the church year. Some don't. That's okay. Some sort of do a, a, sort of a mix of their own of some of the, those uh, liturgical moments, those sort of sacramental moments, those calendar moments in the year. And I'm excited that uh, this is going to be an Advent series, that you're going to be looking at the themes of Advent because they're important for us to understand. Once again, there are different practices. Liturgy, when we say that, use that word, it's a nice, good theological church word. Liturgy simply means the work of the people. It's the work of the people. And there are all kinds of liturgical forms. Uh, I gather pretty much that, that this church has liturgy. That week after week, there are similar things that happen. You come with an expectation that you're going to sing, right? You come with an expectation that there are going to be prayers. With, that you're going to hear the word of God. That you're going to have someone preach in some way or another. And I've heard your bishop preach, and he's a, he's a magnificent preacher. I, I long, I love those times when I get to sit under his teaching and preaching and such. And so there's a form that you practice here at Core Faith. Well, I come from a more formal liturgical tradition. We have sort of a prayer book and those kinds of things that we use. But once again, it is simply the work of the people. It is what we do. I want to sort of read to you as we think about this Advent season there's a quintessential Advent text to me. It's whenever I think of Advent, I start there. And you have it referenced. But Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with a joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warriors in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We'll get into that text a little bit more in just a minute. 
But um, I wanted to say, like I said, there are these treasures. There are things that part of the church throughout history that have been, um, that are forms that invite us into understanding places and perspectives that let us see differently. Have you ever, you know, kind of looked at a diamond? You know, if you hold a diamond with all of its different facets and you can see different things if you look at something from a different perspective. And so in many ways, what the Advent season does is it invites us to look at what it means to be redeemed, what it means to, to be a Christian, what it means to be in the Lord, to look at it maybe in some different ways. Liturgical worship, whatever, like I said, whatever form, offers us a rhythm, a cadence. I was listening. I'm somewhat of a musician. When I'm around good musicians, I usually don't say that. But uh, I, I play and lead worship from time to time. And I just I noticed, and I was sort of making note, that the first two songs that we did were in a 4-4 time. You know, they were pretty steady four four time. And that's, and that's sort of the normal, the most sort of uh, regular kind of time in music that we have. And it, and it provides for us a cadence. So, you know, it's just that four four steady beat. And that's what we're used to. Interestingly enough, and I love it, the fact that it really helped me make a point this morning, the last song that, that the band did, that the worship team did, was it was in three four time. And it was a different kind of cadence. You might not have noticed that. But if you're a musician, you have to think about those kinds of things. If you were marching to 4-4 four, four time, you're going to march in a certain way. If you're marching to 3-4 time, it's going to change. And part of what the seasons do in the church year is they make us sort of think about the rhythm of our life. And as we step into a new season, right? I, for me, it's been, I think it begins for us in culturally with Thanksgiving, right? We step into a new season and all of a sudden we're full-blown holidays uh, in terms of the the, the season. Now, it's been going on for a while, I know. But we sort of get into this mentality and it sort of changes us, right? We sort of look at the world a little bit differently. There's a different cadence or a different pace to December than there is to October or, or April, right? There's a, and so that's part of what this idea of sort of focusing on the idea of an Advent season helps us to look at things a little bit differently. We would look from a sort of 30,000-foot view of the church here. I'll do this real quick. There are two primary uh, uh, cycles that we could look at. And this one that we're entering right now or that you'll enter next week on Advent 1, the first Sunday in Advent, which will be next Sunday, is this idea of the cycle of light. We're moving from darkness to light. And that's sort of the process that we'll be in. And so we'll, we'll come to this place where the people that sat in darkness have seen a great light. And so this idea of light will be growing. You'll have an Advent wreath, and each week it'll get a little bit brighter. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. We'll come to Christmas where the light is manifest in, the, in, in Jesus' coming, in his birth, in his incarnation. And then we'll step into the season of Epiphany where that light is manifest to the world so that all the world can see and know. The second cycle, just briefly, starts with Lent, Easter, and um, Pentecost. And it's a cycle of death and a cycle of life. And so a cycle of life, really, in that regard is that we start sort of walking with Jesus in the season of Lent until he comes to his cross. And then we rejoice at his resurrection. And then we come to the season of Pentecost where that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise us as well and give us power to walk in the world. So there's this, these cycles, if you will, when you sort of walk in the, in the church calendar in the church here. In both cycles, right? In both cycles, we wait, we have expectation, we long, we hope, and then we rejoice in the Christ moment of incarnation or resurrection. 
And then we, as God's people, manifest light and life into the world. Advent spirituality is built around this idea of preparation, reflection, longing, and expectation. It's this longing for Jesus, longing to know him more and more and more. To me, the first hymn that I always think of about in Advent is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come, Lord Jesus. When I was a kid, child growing up, my mother being the good Episcopalian Anglican that she was, we always had an Advent wreath, and she taught myself and my brother and my sister that it was a countdown to Christmas. Each week with each candle, as a child, I would anticipate with great joy that Christmas was coming. And that was, a, you know, for me as a child, it was about presents, and it was about gifts, and it was about parties and celebration and, and a wonderful time to be together as family. So one of the things that we sort of think about as we pre- is preparation, that we prepare I was telling Bishop before the service that this uh, preparing to be with you was like an Advent discipline for me because this is not sort of my normal cadence. This is I've stepped into a different rhythm by being here and stuff. I love it, and I've been in this before, but it's not my normal routine, and it sort of breaks me out of that. So there's been a sense of preparation. And so right now, we're going to be preparing for Christmas, and I said it can be a long endeavor. The department stores think we need three to six months to do it, but uh, really, it just it doesn't take that long. But in a sense, we're preparing for the holidays. It's a season of preparation. It's readying ourselves for the coming event. Uh, a coming event. That's what preparation is. I'm from the Atlanta, Georgia area. And uh, I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but it's what I grew up with. And I was thrilled when 20-plus years ago, the, the Braves moved their spring training to, uh, to Disney, and I got to see, go and see my, the Atlanta Braves get ready for the season. And in some ways, Advent, you can sort of look at that spring training kind of idea of getting ready. It's getting the stadium ready, the field ready. They're doing, they would do that in Atlanta, of course. Of course, they do that here in Disney and such. But there was this idea of, of getting ready, preparing, and getting ready. And so you would, you would get the gear together. You would get the players ready. They'd have their workouts. They would play, you know, practice games, those kinds of things. Strategies to win are being formed. The expectation of a baseball season is, is you know, starting in the end of February, but it won't start. Baseball doesn't start until April. But there's a sense of preparation and, and expectation, and there's that hope that this might be the year, right? This might be the year. See, I think part of the problem with us lots of times is that we get complacent in our spirituality. We get complacent in our faith. We go through the routines and we can get dull. I don't know if you've ever had that, but I find that to be true in my life. I kind of go through the routine. I'm doing my stuff. I say my prayers. I read the Bible. I do those kinds of things, but it's just sort of what I do. And I think Advent comes to us as an opportunity to shake us out of complacency to move us from sort of the, the routine that we've been in and to, re, to, to remind us that all that we see in this world is not all that there is. So we prepare. We get ready to celebrate Christmas, and it's, a, uh, it's happening in my house already. 
a flurry of activity with decorations and lights, a lot of cleaning going on, shopping lists being made, presents being bought and wrapped, parties coming, festive meals, family traditions. And so these traditions are important for us as a family as we sort of move toward this wonderful celebration of Christmas. And in the same way, the church prepares. The church prepares to celebrate the coming of Christ again. It's to celebrate his first coming. A priest friend of mine, I understand that next week you'll have an Advent wreath. And is that a first time that you've had an Advent wreath in church? Okay, that's exciting for me to see that happen. I might even just have to come by and take a picture. Um, but an Advent wreath is going to be, there are going to be five candles total, but there are four that sort of represent the Sundays in Advent. And um, they uh, just sort of think about that. There's one candle that will be pink in there. And it reminds me of a story. A priest friend of mine was uh, teaching a, small, a group of four and five-year-olds about Advent. He was just sort of talking to them about what the season was. And he, he just kind of queried to them. He asked, do you know why we have a pink candle? And these four and five-year-olds sort of looked at him like, well, we weren't sure. And they were trying to form the right answer. Someone was sort of, finally, one brave child piped up and volunteered and said, because we really wanted a little girl? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's not it. Just to tell you that the pink candle is simply a halfway mark in our Advent journey. It's typically the candle that is marked for joy. And so it is that our redemption is drawing nigh, that our hope is soon to be fulfilled. And that's why there's a pink candle. The Advent wreath is a symbol. It reminds us in this Advent journey that we are moving from darkness to light. That each week, as you light another candle, it'll get a little brighter, a little more light into this world. It teaches us that, that light is increasing. It's a symbol of movement, as I said, from darkness to light. Like the morning dawn, if you've been up ever early before, and sometimes when we go to pray early on Tuesday mornings, it is dark. And while we're in there, the sun comes up. But we get this sort of wisp of light. Have you ever looked at the dawn? Been out there before the sun comes up? You know, before you see the sun, you get to see light coming forward. And so we get these wisps of light before the, the sun finally dawns. A people who walked in darkness... A people who've walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. The Advent wreath originated uh, around, with the Reformation, possibly as late as the 1830s. Some symbols, it's a circle representing God's eternal love, his unending love for us. Some attach meanings to the candles, and there are different things. There's a shepherd's candle, a Bethlehem candle, those kinds of things. But there's also this idea, and this has been more of late, uh, the, one candle is hope, another is peace, another is joy, another is love. Makes for a great sermon series and a great way to sort of teach these things or these Advent themes that need to be explored by the church as you gather. These, by comparison, though, to church history are fairly new things that have happened. Advent as a season in the church calendar began in the 300s. So there's a tradition in the church of having an Advent wreath. I'm going to do a couple more traditions that you, you might consider and sort of look at doing. One is there's a service of hanging the greens. And uh, it's the idea that you would bring in, you know, evergreens and you might hang them along the walls and over the doors and things like that. And you might even have Christmas trees, but in Advent you wouldn't have lights and you wouldn't have ornaments on those trees. The, the idea here is that you're bringing in when the world is dying in winter, that you bring in the greens to remind us that there is life, that life goes on and that there is eternal life. 
and it remind, it's a, to be a reminder of that. That's, now, being in Florida, that's kind of hard for us because we look outside and it's still pretty green around, right? And we have palm trees. But, but in the same way that we import snow and you know, all the kind of winter things that are tied to, to Christmas and, and culturally, we kind of do that same sort of thing here. It reminds us of life. And so that's what that tradition is about. A personal favorite of mine, I was telling Bishop about this before the services, we would set up a nativity scene, but we would set up the first Sunday in Advent, we would just have the stable, or it's called the crutch, right? And we would have that as a sort of on a table as, at the entry of the church. And the next Sunday, we would add some animals to that, some camels and some sheep and, and those kinds of things that are there. The next Sunday, we would add a few shepherds along uh, as a part of the nativity scene. On the fourth Sunday in Advent, we would add Mary and Joseph. Not baby Jesus yet, but on Christmas Eve, baby Jesus would be placed in the manger. And it, there's, once again, you hear, you see it, that growing sort of expectation that something is about to happen. And that's the idea behind this time of preparation. All this preparation was intentional, setting the stage for the moment of celebrating Jesus and his coming, the birth of Jesus, our redemption drawing nigh. Amidst all this activity, either in your home, setting up the tree, buying presents, cleaning, all those kinds of things, or in the church, the things that you might do, amidst all of this preparation, the call for us is not to neglect preparing our hearts. Preparing our hearts, our minds, our souls, our spirit to receive Christ Jesus anew. It is a time for faith about dreaming about the advent of Jesus in us. Jesus taking up residence in us. I like this. I'm going to turn this word into a verb. Jesus Christmases in us. Our hearts become a manger, a place where, where his presence is inside of us. And we're called to an incarnational, relational ministry, right? We're called to a place where we are to allow Jesus to work in us and more so through us to the world. So that, so that the very gospel can come through our lives to other people. That's the call as we, as we think about what Christ has done for us. What he's done for us and in us and with us and finally through us. Part of, part of Advent really is this idea of setting yourself into a place of reception. That's that posture. That's a posture for Advent. You know, there's, there's a posture when you're going to receive something, right? I was watching some football yesterday, a big college football fan. And I noticed, that just as I was sort of preparing this, that there are some players, guess what? They are called receivers. That is their job. They might throw a block every now and then, but their job is to receive and catch that ball when it's thrown to them. And in a sense, that's their posture. They have a posture of reception. And in that same way, church... We are to set ourselves in a place where we can receive from the Lord all that he has for us. Greater knowledge, greater understanding. You might have been a Christian for 10 years or 10 minutes. But throughout our lives, we are to set ourselves in a place where we are receiving from the Lord more and more and more. To receive him into our hearts and into our lives. And you might be able to mark the time when you came to Christ. I can. It was August 25th, 1973. I was on a youth retreat with my little Episcopal church from Noonan, Georgia, and these people just talked about Jesus all weekend. And I, I thought I was going on a camping trip in the mountains. Felt a little bait and switch. But I, as they talked about Christ and what he had done and how much he loved me, my heart, as Wesley would say, was strangely warmed. 
and I trusted Christ as my Savior. I was in a posture of reception to receive the Lord, and that's part of what Advent is, and I've been receiving from the Lord from, from that moment forward. He's shown me things about his character, about who he is about his, in, in his word. So, so this call of preparation is to set us into a posture of reception. Another aspect of what a theme in Advent is that we are to reflect. Truly seeing ourselves, it's like when, you refl- when you're a reflection in the mirror, right? And you truly see yourself and who you are and where you are and what your call is. Part of it is, I think, in reflection for me is a, and this, uh, Jason knows this, I, I go away twice a year for a week-long retreat to be by myself with Jesus. Just up in the mountains, I have this place I go. It's called a Hermitage Retreat Center. And I, I go to this area, and I just sort of I close off everything and just spend time with the Lord. I, I learn to be still. You know, Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. Right? We know that verse. I think the opposite of it is true. If we're not still, we're not going to be able to know that he is God. Part of this, is a, this idea of, of Advent is that there's repentance that's going on. As I reflect about my life, I examine my own life, I look at where I am. Sort of what we were commended to do, to do as we were taking communion. To look at my life and where I'm at and how I'm, how I'm living for the Lord or how I'm not. We have prayers in our Book of Common Prayer in the Episcopal Church that there's a prayer for each Sunday in Advent. And all of them in one way or another contain this idea of repentance. Prayer for Advent 1 is, Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Week 2, merciful God, who sent your messengers of the prophets to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus, our Redeemer. Advent 3, stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins... Let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Finally, Advent 4, purify our conscience, Almighty God, and by your daily visitation that your Son, Jesus Christ, at his coming may find in us a mansion prepared for him. See, our pilgrimage in Advent, our walk, our journey in Advent is this idea of coming to repentance, turning away from the things of the world, turning away from my own sin and turning to the Lord. To, to gaze upon him, to hope in him, to have my expectation in him. Part of that idea is that we meditate on the second coming of Christ in Advent. Our longing for Jesus, for his return, to establish his kingdom fully and completely. The advent of Christ in this world. The second coming, the end of times, is also the beginning of eternity. The consummation and fulfillment of our redemption. I was thinking about this and that it's the end in a sense of things as, as the second coming comes. It will be the end of pain and disease and suffering and all those things, praise God. But it will be the beginning of eternity. But as I was thinking about that, there, there are four different ends that I'll mention here right now. There's a personal end. I hate to tell you this, but we die, right? Whether you are a man in Liberia where the age expectancy is 39 years or a woman in Japan where the life expectancy is 84.7 years, regardless, we all will die. There was a youth pastor who wanted to start a discussion on core values, and he posed a question to the youth group. If the doctor told you you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? 
The teens mentioned being with family and friends, kind of getting right with God, a few of them kind of, and it was, so the discussion was going right where it was supposed to. But Jason, one of the kids in the youth group, was completely quiet in the discussion. And so the youth asked, Jason, if you were told you only had 24 hours uh, by the doctor, what would you do? And Jason piped up and said, I'd get a second opinion. <laughs> there was a little boy in Allen who was five years younger than his brother Brent. And he was learning to count by fives, right? And he used their ages to help him remember the next number. He goes, I'm five and Brent is 10. When I'm 10, Brent will be 15. When I'm 15, Brent will be 20. And before long, his parents tuned this discussion out until they heard, when I'm 95, Brent will be 100. And when I'm 100, Brent will be dead. Part of it is that that death is something that's out there. But for those of us in Christ, we just simply leave. We, life isn't over for us. It just simply changes. So there's a, a personal end that's out there, right? There's a civil, civilization's end in one way or another. Do we learn from history? I hope so. We've seen the decline of Western civilization. We, there are a lot of problems in the world that point to that there's something going on. Is this the end of all time or simply another era? like the Egyptians or the Greeks or the Romans who we read about and study about in history, but their civilizations are no more. There's a global end. In about 5 billion years, according to scientists, our sun will go supernova and expand to 10,000 times its size and thus incinerate the earth, and this planet where we live will be no more. There is finally a cosmic end, according to scientists once again. The universe at some point will cease its movement outward and begin to collapse in a gravity. Uh, in gravity, instead of a big bang, there will be a big crunch, and the universe will be no more. The universe will end. Does science have the final say? No, not at all. Revelation chapter twenty-one, verses one through six says, "Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God." prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. See, the end is really Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end, Jesus declares. And he saves and delivers and makes new. Our hope needs to be in him. There is this end that is Jesus. And it is a joyful and wonderful end for those that believe. Do you long for that day? A day when there will be no more disease or death or dying or sorrow or pain. Do you long for that day when Christ will come and establish his kingdom? That when that prayer is answered, that his kingdom will come in fullness. And his will will be done throughout the world. We look around this world and we see it as a broken place, don't we? There's a lot of pain and suffering and disease. There's violence and mass shootings and wars, oppression, hatred, poverty, hunger, tragedy, earthquakes, hurricanes, wildfires. Evil abounds. 
We want someone to fix all these things, right? We, and we want a political or an economic or a social or a scientific answer to what else the world. If you hope for a worldly answer, you're going to be disappointed. There is not one. There is not a program. There is not a law that can be passed, a legislation that can be done. There is not a leader in this world that can deliver us and bring about peace. For the problem is not a worldly one. It's a cosmic and spiritual problem. And it has only one remedy. Part of Advent teaches us to long for and wait for that answer, which is Jesus. For Jesus to be brought into this world. And, and we get to experience it now as the church. And our, our mission is to invite the world to experience it as well. I love this. It's, um, I'll just kind of summarize here. But in Romans chapter 8, it speaks about all creation is longing for the redemption of the world. See, creation was put under a curse as well, and it's longing to be released from that curse. And that is what our hope is. Our Advent hope is come, Lord Jesus. O come, O come, Emmanuel. That is our Advent hope. That is what we would desire to see happen in this world. And part of that is this, this picture. I'm going to ask you to stand for just a moment as a part of this. You can sit down, back it down in a second. I love this. J.B. Phillips, a translation that came out in the 60s, a paraphrase, kind of like the message or something like that. He was talking about this verse, right? And it says, all creation longs for the children of God, the sons of God, to come into their own. And I love the way he put it. All creation stands on tiptoe just to see. Go up on your tiptoes for a moment, right? Go up there and you just sort of, that's the posture. I want you to know that that's the posture for Advent, that we are to stand on tiptoe looking for, longing for, to see Jesus come in his fullness, to come into this world afresh, anew, in us and through us, so that the world may know, so that the world may know that there is a redemption that is coming, that the way that the world is, as broken as it is, there's a healing that is coming for the world, and it is in Jesus himself. You can sit down. See, it's promised unto us that redemption. We read it in Isaiah this morning. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of his increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. Oh, beloved, Advent is a call to long for that day. It's a longing for the coming of Christ and the advent of his kingdom come throughout all of creation. And we don't, and creation joins with us in this longing for it today. Finally, the last part is that we come to advent with expectation. The dictionary would say that uh, expectation is to look forward, to anticipate a coming or an occurrence. To expect implies a high degree of certainty and usually involves the idea of preparing envisioning. Hope implies little certainty, but suggests confidence and assurance in the possibility that what one desires or longs for will happen. To cherish a desire with anticipation, to desire with expectation of obtainment. See, we have expectation and hope. It's a real expectation. It's a genuine hope that we have in Christ. He is coming. It's an expectation 
I don't know if you do it. One of our traditions on Christmas Day, once we kind of get through all this sort of stuff, if there's been a, probably the last 10 years or so they've been doing this, 24 hours of a Christmas story. You guys ever watched this movie? It talks about Christmas. I think it is a study in expectation. Ralphie wants a BB gun. That is what he wants. And he connives throughout the whole of the movie different ways in which he's going to get this BB gun. It is, it is a study in expectation and hope that I can get this, figure this out. And he runs against all these obstacles, you know, from his mom to his teacher to his dad to Santa Claus himself, right? But at the end of it, he gets this one long prize that he's been hoping for and longing for. And it, as I said, it's, a, it's an exercise. It's a study in expectation, See, and that's part of what we should be working for. We should be hoping for, longing for, with expectation. Because we're going to realize it. And beloved, even today, I'm going to tell you, we don't have to wait. Yeah, there's this sort of energy built around this idea of hope and expectation. But for those of us who believe, by faith, Christ comes. Even now. Even now. I'm not sure what your week was like. I know there's a lot of pain and sorrow and tragedy in this world. A, a, a friend of mine who's a priest in our diocese, I've been working with his church some on doing some missional kinds of things, and, and his mother sadly died on Saturday. He flew out on Thursday on Thanksgiving Day to California where she lives, and he was with her in her last hours. We were texting yesterday just the, the, the loss that he feels in his own life. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of sorrow in this world. But I'm here to tell you that today, whatever's going on in your life, Jesus can touch and heal. Jesus can come alongside. He can Christmas in you today. By faith, you don't have to wait. I think there's always this longing for that we're supposed to have. So stand, if you will, again. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you as your children, as, as a people of covenant who are in a relationship with you and who desire you, Lord. And, and there might be people in here who don't know you, but Lord, you, you right now can meet the need of every heart, or whether it's salvation, a first-time confession of faith, or whether it's, Lord, that we're going through a tough time. We're experiencing some of that suffering, that pain, that disease, that sorrow. And Lord, we invite you now by the power of your Holy Spirit to enter us, to come into our hearts and lives afresh, or that rivers of living water would flow forth from our hearts throughout all of our bodies, all of our lives, body, soul, mind, and spirit, and everything that we are, and all the relationships that we have, or that you would bring life to us, that the same power that raised you from the dead would bring life to us now. Lord, we set ourselves in a posture of reception to receive your grace and mercy, your kindness, your forgiveness, your reconciliation into our lives. Lord, we receive our redemption afresh. We rejoice in our salvation this day. And Lord, we look forward with joy and hope and expectation and with longing for your continued coming day by day, moment by moment. We welcome this Advent journey. And for these things, we give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.